from Genesis, and I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, good morning, friends. Happy Father's Day. Uh, we have been spending the past few weeks, as you know, working our way through, the, through Genesis and the Abraham and Sarah story. And uh, one of the things I hope we learn over these next several weeks, looking at Abraham and Sarah and then all the uh, characters that follow, is that we learn to trust God more. Because as I said last week, learning to trust God is actually the whole meaning of life. It's the whole reason why we are here, why we are here, to learn to trust Him more and more. And so this week we continue with the Abraham and Sarah and Hagar uh, train wreck, right? Essentially, you know, it's interesting that we're talking about Abraham on Father's Day, and Abraham belongs more on the Dr. Phil show than he does as an example of good fatherhood, but I'll get to that in a second. Um, and also, Sarah, we looked at her last week, his wife, who is this justifiably, right, cynical and bitter and angry woman based upon Abraham, her husband. And so we see in this whole big great stew of family dysfunction, I hope we see people that actually look a lot like us. Because the whole point of reading these stories is not historical curiosity, and it's certainly not to go, boy, it's what an Abraham, what a dirtbag he was. Well, now hang on, hang on, wait, time out. We're not, we're, not, we're not allowed to get away that easily, unfortunately, right? Scripture always gives us these stories of Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, Ishmael, and all that, which I'll talk about. But the reason they, Scripture gives us these, quiet, these texts is for one reason, to learn to trust God. You know, Abraham, and we'll get into this this morning, Abraham essentially was not a very good father or husband or good leader or even all that faithful. So, anyway, but one thing that he had, one thing he did have, in fact, the only thing he had going for him, I said this last week, is that Abraham trusted in God. And we learned with Abraham and Sarah last week, and you can go back on the website and watch it if you want, that this idea of trusting God is the whole point of life. Trusting God, because trusting God, or trusting anyone else, requires risk. It requires us to both learn it and have it be earned, which means... That trust requires another biggie, patience. Patience. And that's what we're going to look at today. Another easy topic, patience, right? And we're going to look at two things today. Our, well, Abraham and Sarah and our lack of patience when it comes to trusting God. Our lack of, pa- our lack of patience, point one. And then point number two, I'm going to look at the power of God's grace. So our lack of patience and the power of God's grace. So the first point, our lack of patience. You know, they say, you've heard this before a million times, that patience is a what? A virtue, right? Which means, you know what that means? A a virtue means that you're not born with it. You have to learn virtues, all of them. Patience and, uh, and bravery and all these things. Patience is a virtue, which means you are not born with it. And if you just stop and think for a moment, Look at little babies, little infants, right? They're cute and they're cuddly, but they are the most self-centered and most impatient people you'll ever meet, right? Babies, infants are impatient by nature, which is because patience has to be learned. We are not born that way, Lady Gaga. No, ma'am, no, sir. We are not born patient. In fact, we have to learn it. We have to learn patience like all the virtues. So the question is then, how do you do it, right? Well, look at the story. Abraham and Isaac 
and Sarah and Hagar and this whole big family dysfunction. Abraham trusted God, as I said, but as I pointed out last week a little bit, you know, time rolled on. So God said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. Okay, thanks, because I need one. I know, Abraham, I'm going to give you one. And then time rolls on, right? A long time, like 10 years of time. And Abraham and Sarah was unable to have children, strike number one. Strike number two, they're not getting any younger, right? They're both pretty old. In fact, they're older than, as we said last week, Sarah was not only unable to have children, but beyond childbearing years. And so they begin to worry. They begin to become impatient. And then they, Abraham and Sarah, husband and wife, make a critical decision to take matters into their own hands. Sarah, of all people hatches a plan and says, hey, Abe, you know, I know I, I'm not able to have children. I want to provide a son for you. So we talked about this last week a little bit. Here's my servant girl, Hagar. Yeah, she's hot. And you know what? She can have kids, I think. And guess what? He gives Hagar to her. Abraham, of course, accepts the gift. Again, he's kind of a dirtbag. And Abraham and Hagar, the slave woman, have a baby. Now, it doesn't take Phil Donahue to figure out what's going to happen next, right? Sarah gets angry. She's frustrated. She's vengeful. She hates Hagar. Sarah, the wife, hates Hagar, the slave girl, because now she's pregnant with her husband's child, and she says, cast that woman out of here, the slave woman. But the thing I want you to see here, the key is that desperate people, friends, desperate people do desperate things. Desperate people do desperate things. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever done something which you, you, which was wrong, you knew it, I knew it, I mean, I didn't know yours, I know my own, right? You knew it was wrong, I knew it was wrong, and you know what, I did it anyway. Do you ever wonder why? Well, because we're sinners, but because you and I are impatient. I'm honestly, think about it. We, we think we know better rather than we waiting for God to act, rather than trusting in him who's trustworthy, we take matters into our own hands and we just screw things all up, all the way up, up and down. We mess it all up, just like Abraham and Sarah did. That's the essence of sin, right? It's to miss the mark. It's to, to jump the gun, to call our own shots rather than trusting in the Lord. You know, most people think of sin as something that we want to do and that God, the great big cosmic party pooper in the sky, he doesn't want us to have any fun. That's what most people think of when it comes to sin. But let me challenge you on that because the rules are there, listen, God's rules are there not for his sake, but for your sake. I mean, there's all sorts of rules, if you look at them, and they make perfect sense about money, sex, marriage, raising children, and they are in place to protect you from you and me from me. See, here's the thing I want you to think about, again, in the context of Abraham and, I, and Sarah and Hagar and that great big stew of dysfunction that is created. You know, just remember something really important. God, God has a distinct advantage over you and me. He's a distinct advantage. Well, several, actually, right? He knows everything. He created everything, including you, including me. He knows the past, present, and future all at the same time. In fact, he is technically, literally, he, God, is at your light, your birth, death, and judgment even now. Think about that for a second. He's outside of time, right? 
So the, the point I'm trying to make here, right, is that God lays out these rules for us to try to protect us from ourselves because, frankly, he knows what he's doing, and you don't, and neither do I. And God's rules are there to protect us from ourselves, to protect us from our impatience of jumping the gun, of making bad decisions, of taking matters into our own hands. Let me put it to you like this. Today's Father's Day, right? And I'm going to get to that. Don't worry. How many of you have kids? A lot of you have children. You want your kids to grow up to learn to do what? To love and trust you. It's the same word. You want your kids to trust you to make the right decisions, right? You want your children to make the right decisions. Why? Well, are you there just to restrict their freedom? Do you get some sort of perverse kick by telling them no? I mean, some parents do, I'm sure. But for the most part, people, parents put boundaries around their kids not because they don't love them, but because they do. Today is Father's Day, and a good dad, a good dad is a dad who loves his kids, who will die for his family, and he lays down rules and structures, not because he doesn't love his children, but because he does, you see. There are few things in this life more terrifying. I mean, you can look at psychological studies. You can let your, look at your own kids. I was out last night for dinner with my family. There were some kids close by that were these kids that clearly had no boundaries at all. Misbehaving, I might add. They weren't my children. But when you have kids with no rules, no boundaries, there's nothing more terrifying for the person with no boundaries and the person who refuses to give them. And that's the point of God's rules, friends, for Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, and you, and me. Not to restrict our freedom, but to protect us from our freedom, from our misuse and our impatience of our freedom. So let me ask you, here's another diagnostic question, and it's a biggie. Where in your own lives are you, and I'm, I'm under this too, I'm not pointing finger. I guess I am pointing fingers, but not, not in a judgmental way. But where are you? Where are you impatient with God? I mean, where do you feel like, oh man, and it's because God isn't answering your prayers on your time. And we've all been there. Some of you are there now. Where are you tempted to take matters into your own hands rather than wait on God and his provision for you? You know, we skip church because God won't mind. We say, well, even though it is number three of the Ten Commandments, and they are hierarchical, here's something to consider. God says, get your fanny in church every Sunday. He doesn't say it that way. He says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That comes before murder, stealing, and adultery. It's a second. It's a biggie. Or we cheat on our taxes, or we engage in shady business deals, or we lie, or whatever. Fill in the blank, man. We've all got stuff. The sin we commit, if you think about it, if you think of any sin you commit, if you follow it all the way down, what you'll find is that you think you know better than God, me too, and you'll also find that you're just not patient. We all do it, which is why Abraham and Sarah and Hagar are such good examples, not of moral perfection, but good examples of the person sitting in your chair, the person standing right here in my spot, of us. They're good examples of our own impatience. That's my first point, right? That God's impatient, that we, we as human beings are impatient when it comes to God. We don't trust in him. But the second thing, which is I think the better part, thanks be to God, is our own, our own impatience, but actually God's gracious response. That word's important. Did you notice something important? This is actually really cool if you think about it. Abraham and Sarah, they hatched this plan with Hagar to have a child, right? Which was not God's intent. 
He told them, just, I'll give, it, I'll give you the kid, and they, I'll give you the child, Abraham and Sarah, and then they jump the gun, right? They take matters into their own hands. They do an end run, if you will, around God. But the fascinating thing, remember God says, I will give you a son, and I, I'll, make him, I'll make him flourish. Even though Abraham and Sarah blow it, God's promise stands. God told Abraham that his son would be great. And despite the fact that Ishmael, who is the boy who's born with Hagar, you guys keeping track of all this? Abraham and Hagar have a son named Ishmael. He is a son of Abraham. God keeps his promise, even though Ishmael is not the kid that God intended. And the point I want you to see here is that God is faithful, listen, and gracious, listen, and keeps his word even when we blow it. That should give you great comfort. It does for me. Look at this, Genesis chapter 17, verse 20. And I'm going to get to Ishmael in a second, because he's an important character even now. So Abraham, Hagar, kid, Ishmael, that's his name. And God says, as for Ishmael, I've heard you, behold, I have blessed him. And I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. Even though Abraham was born in impatience and sin and a lack of trust in God, even so, even so, God keeps his word. That's remarkable. God is faithful, even when we're not. I mean, I want you to think about this. This is, I think, the biggest point of the entire text, and it's subtle, but it's there. I mean, because so many people, so many people lead lives of regret. If only I'd done X. Man, think of all the destruction I caused. Or if only I had not done Y, all the consequences of that. But I want you to think about something for a second. There is nothing you can do, no thing you can do that God cannot and will not redeem. Nothing. God can make, sounds corny, but it's true, God can make lemonade out of lemons, as the saying goes. No matter what you and I do, right? If you're Abraham and Hagar and create this... Ishmael child, and he's another, I'll get to him in just one second, but no matter what we do in our own brokenness, God can redeem that. Yes, there will be suffering. Yes, there will. Absolutely. Yes, there will be unintended consequences of the decisions that you and I make. Yes, the decisions we make. The decisions we make sometimes, friends, have long-lasting and completely unintended consequences. For example, what you may not know is that Ishmael is a pretty important character in Scripture. Ishmael, the son of Hagar, the son of the, the servant woman, guess who he becomes to be? He becomes the progenitor and forefather of Islam. Isaac, who is the child of promise, who is born today, and Ishmael, the child of the slave woman, they are at odds as boys and even now. You ever wonder why Muslims and Jews hate each other so much? This is why. Isaac and Ishmael. A direct, unintended consequence of the union between Abraham and Hagar. I mean, do you think, do you think that Abraham had any clue at all about the Twin Towers going down in New York when he did what he did? Or the West Bank or the Gulf War 1 and 2? I doubt it. But see, even though we, our decisions cause brokenness and fallenness and unintended consequences, friends, God is gracious, even when we fail. There's great power in this. There's great power in this. And on this Father's Day, let me challenge you, because a man who learns to lean on God's grace, who understands his mercy, 
is an example, even in mistakes. You know, many of you know that my father died, my dad died a year ago, a week last, a year ago last week. And I learned a lot from my father. He was a good man. Anthony was his name, Tony, he went by. I learned, a lot of, I learned a lot about God, and I learned a lot about life from my dad. My father was not perfect. You know, no dad is perfect except for our father in heaven. That's kind of the point. And when I preached this funeral sermon a year ago yesterday, I, I stated how my father, I learned a lot of good things from his example, positive things from his successes, which were remarkable. He was born in Yonkers, self-made guy, went to night school, got a CPA, worked his way up to become a senior vice president of finance for SmithKline Company, which I think has been bought out several times now. Son of a Basque immigrant, retired at 47 years old. Man, he, my dad had the world by the tail, right? But, but, I also learned a lot from his mistakes, from his failures. Mistakes he made, unintended consequences of his life, things he regretted, things he said to me later on in life. He said to me, you know, I wish I'd known better. Well, Dad, we always say that, right? But it's like you learn from people's success, but also from their failures. And this is, I think, a, an important point. There's strength in that, man. There's, there's masculinity in that. To be a man who will admit not only his strengths, that's easy, but his weaknesses. Because ex- this is exactly in your weakness and my weakness as a dad. That is where we see the grace of God come through. This is the model of Abraham, right? He wasn't perfect, but he knew it. (laughs) And you know, someday my own children will look at me, I hope, I pray, and see success, things that I did right, and learn from those things, but also the things that I did wrong, the mistakes that I have made, and learn from those too. Why? Because in those failures, you see, they can see God's grace shine through. Because you know, a dad's job, whether you are Abraham or Tony Rodriguez, or you, or me, or your dad. Our job as dads is to point others, not towards ourselves, but to our common Father in heaven. Because that common Father in heaven, he always keeps his word. He is faithful even when we're not. Even when we fail, he can redeem it. And most importantly, this is the key of our, of our mutual common Father in heaven, But most importantly, he offers us the victory of the cross. He offers us grace and mercy and redemption to which no earthly father can compare. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you that even in our impatience, even in our jumping the gun, even in our trying to solve our own problems, you do not give up on us. You are faithful even when we are not. Help us to see the example of Abraham as the example of all of us, broken men and women, fully and completely reliant upon your grace. Bless the fathers in this parish, Lord. Help us all to point others towards our true Father in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.